go ahead and bust open the mailbag. Shammy. Sham on Daddy. I, 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 I don't hate the Twitter handles. I'm frustrated by the Twitter handles that I don't know. Real quickly, John Dewey, Chica One, Tyler Hergert asks, who is forced to sell their team? Uh, Game Roller B, Neil Watches PFT has this one. JD Sports Radio asks, Dr. J144, I mean, PFT, PM Possibus. Leapers 500, Gareth Johnson, our good friend from across the pond, A-Red Zona. Sea Feather 64, J. Sam Saya Dick, A. Kluber asks. All right, last question. John Kasich. Merit 2791868. It's always important to get the numbers right on the back end of a handle. T Dar Law Lida. I don't know. T Dar. I just some of these. I give up. I always wonder. Is it, it is it is it am I going to be like Mo Sislak with Bart Simpson on the other end of the phone yelling out uh-huh. to the bar? You know, hey, I got a phone call. But... Never mind. Well, that's what happens on a day when there's no sound to fill the first minute of the program. It's PFTPM, Miles Simmons, Mike Florio. One day to go until the draft. I can feel the excitement coming through Miles' instantaneous digital connection in Santa Monica all the way to West Virginia by way of Stamford, Connecticut. Miles is fired up. I am fired up. And actually, I'm very fired up because we have two live guest today not taped live joining the show anything can happen kyle hamilton notre dame safety and jermaine johnson florida state edge rusher by way of georgia will be joining us live during the program presented by gillette i say that now in the event that i forget to ask the question later because they told me before the show you must ask the question which is basically the jinx visited upon me that will guarantee i will forget to ask the question. But the good news is, since I'm not doing it alone, if I forget and you forget, I'll just blame you. Perfect. Yes, that will be the best <laughs> thing that could absolutely happen and would certainly uh, you know, heighten my excitement for the draft, which, of course, is tomorrow. Also, and because I just love this word, which is why I'm going to throw it in there right now, it is my penultimate episode of PFTPM before our spring and summer hiatus. So I just had to throw that in there. Yes. Yes, we we are. I haven't mentioned that yet. And there are going to be plenty Oops, of people who are upset news. about this. Thank you. Thank you. Because now I'm going to get the emails all night. As if I didn't have other things to do tonight, I will be dealing tonight with the emails. from people saying, what do you mean you're going away until whenever we come back? Sorry, we'll still have PFT Live for another couple of months. You have to deal with that. It's not my call, not my decision. I strenuously objected. My objection was overruled. I'll go ahead and say it. I don't care at this point. I wanted to keep doing it. Others made the decision. Fine by me. We'll be back at some point, unless we aren't. Because what happened last year, when we stopped doing the show for a couple months, I started to like not doing the show, and I seriously thought about saying, screw it, I'm not doing it anymore. So, Miles, it may be the last show. It may not be penultimate before hiatus. This may be penultimate before never coming back because once they give me a taste of having five to six Eastern time to my own devices, I'm going to say, screw it. I ain't coming back. So a little drama, a little cliffhanger. Say hey, it, don't spray it. A little cliffhanger if you as we go into come hiatus. Back, Mike, I'll come back. I'll be ha- I'd be happy to come back. You know, you keep, you keep joking about me pushing you off of here. Maybe I'll just do that. Yeah. I, I'm not joking. <laughs> All right, let's get to it because we got Kyle Hamilton in a few minutes. Before we get to that, though, there is a new show called Race in America with host Marty Poole. It's going to be available at NBC Sports Bay Area, Bay Area Bay, easy for him to say, bayarea.com. NBC Sports Bayarea.com is an entirely different website that we do not recommend you visit. NBC Sports Bayarea.com is uh, where this show is going to be. Here is, and I, I said this before the league meetings because coaches were being asked during press conferences, scouting combine or wherever about Colin Kaepernick. And I said, ho, 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 wait, wait. The coaches aren't the ones who should be asked about Colin Kaepernick because they're not the ones who are ensuring that the door remains closed. The people who should be asked about Colin Kaepernick's lingering shunning by the NFL are the people who own the NFL teams Enter Mark Davis owner of the Los, 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 yeah, Los, almost said Los Angeles, Los Oakland. I almost said Los Oakland Raiders, which would be a very cool name. 
Las Vegas Raiders. Here he is talking about his position on whether or not Colin Kaepernick should have a job in the NFL. Colin Kaepernick, you have been on record saying that you would be open to him becoming a Raider if the coaching staff felt that he was able to contribute to this team. Where do you stand that, that Colin is going around basically trying to show people that he can still play football? Listen, I, I, I believe in Colin Kaepernick, and he deserves every chance in the world to become a quarterback in the National Football League. I still stand by it. If our coaches and general managers want to bring him in or want him to be the quarterback on this team, I would welcome him with open arms. Um, I think Colin's a very misunderstood human being. Um, I've gotten a chance to talk to him. I never really knew Colin, and I didn't understand him, and I didn't understand the kneeling, what that meant initially. Um, over time, I have learned a little bit more about it, and uh, I understand where he was coming from, and he's got a message for society as a whole. There's people that uh, I'm very close with. Tommy Smith is somebody who back in 1968 made a uh, nonviolent gesture to let people know that, yeah, I might have won the gold medal, but there's a lot of problems left back in America that we got to fix. And I think in the same vein, Colin Kaepernick has, has sacrificed a lot of the things that he could have been doing in his life and to, to get a message across about police violence and, and uh, equity and inclusion in America. And uh, I stand by that. That sound you heard periodically during that clip was Roger Goodell texting Mark Davis. Will you please shut up? Will you please shut up? I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. Calm down, Roger. It's just a joke. A little levity. This is good that he said what he said. Now, yeah. now I'm looking at their roster, Miles. Quarterback position, Derek Carr, mm -hmm. Nick Mullins, Garrett Gilbert. Hey, Mark, you own the team. Let me just speak to Mark Davis, man to man. You own the team. You can hide behind general managers and coaches all you want. You own the team. And if you really wanted to have the conversation with Dave Ziegler, the GM, or Josh McDaniels, the head coach, about Garrett Gilbert versus Colin Kaepernick or Nick Mullins versus Colin Kaepernick, you could, you could have that conversation. Now, I'm not sure Kaepernick is a fit because of something he said within the past week or two about I'm, I'm willing to come in as a backup, but once I prove I'm the starter, I want to play. I mean, they've got a starter, so that would make the Raiders not a fit. But, but if they do want to give him an opportunity, practice squad. Come establish yourself on the practice squad. Let somebody see some film from practice, and then maybe they can, they can you know, put him on a team elsewhere. Let him, let him be in training camp in the preseason, show he's not a distraction, and then cut him, and someone else comes in and gets him. That's a possibility. But at least it's something. It's a toe dangerously close to the water. It's not in the water yet. But it's the first time we've had an owner speak like this. I want to hear more, and hopefully it goes in that direction. I'll be surprised if it does. But kudos to Mark Davis for at least saying something other than the crap we've been hearing for the last five years. All the false narratives, all the phony baloney mumbo-jumbo, this, that, can't do it, can't do it, blah, blah, blah. Mark Davis, I applaud him for what he said, but I want to see more action, although I'm not holding my breath. Well, Mike, you know my drawstring phrase, oh, won't someone rid me of this meddlesome priest, right? This is almost, why won't somebody bring me this priest, right? I mean, I think, you know, you brought up the backup QBs that they have in Mullins and in Gilbert. Uh, you could at least have him come in, compete on the 90-man roster where you're in the off-season program, where then you go to training camp and then you say, well, maybe he actually can do something for us. Maybe he can be a backup QB. Now, I would not anticipate that Colin Kaepernick can go in there and beat out Derek Carr, especially because, well, guess what? They just paid Derek Carr a whole lot of money to be their quarterback for the next few years. But I, I just feel like this is something that we really haven't heard before. And I like that Mark Davis is not just saying like, yeah, we'd be open to it, but he's providing a lot of context to what the remarks are, right? Where he, he, he's saying why he feels the way that he feels. So this is a good step, but I agree that, you know, once you're the owner of the team, there's more that you can do than just say words. Right? You could really give Colin Kaepernick that opportunity to come in and compete for a backup role. And from what Colin Kaepernick has said, that's what he wants. Yeah, we've been talking all week about the influence of owners when it comes to the first round of the draft, and particularly the first round of the draft. They like to say, 
we don't make the decisions. They have a way of making their preferences known. And frankly, <laughs> frankly, Mark Davis made his preference known pretty loud. Now he said, I defer to the GM and the coach. Yeah. But if you want to keep Mark Davis happy, maybe it's something you explore. But again, Kaepernick came out last week and said, once I prove myself, I want to be the starter. That creates an expectation that may not mesh with the traditional backup role for some teams. Teams have two different kinds of backups. The kind who come in and compete with the starter and may the best man win, and the kind who come in clearly to support the starter with no aspiration to start, no threat to the starter. Everybody knows their, their spot in the hierarchy. The Raiders don't have an open starting job right now, so that would be the one impediment. But there is a way you can at least give him a chance to prove that he can actually show up and function at practice. He can play in the preseason, and then maybe another team decides to give Colin Kaepernick an opportunity. We can only hope that that will happen. We will have uh, Kyle Hamilton momentarily. Until then, there was a report today. Uh, shortly, we're told. Shortly for Kyle Hamilton. Until then, as much time as we have in the interim, NFL media reported today that all is quiet on the Debo Samuel trade front. No sense of any movement on Debo Samuel's trade request. And that could be one of two things. One, there really is nothing happening. Or two, it is being kept so secret at the demand of the 49ers because they don't want anyone to know that they're going to be sliding into a spot in round one before they slide into that spot. I said that a week ago. If you're going to acquire, for example, pick number 10 from the New York Jets, you don't want anybody to know that you're going to have that pick until that pick's on the clock because you don't want some wise-ass at 13, 14, 15 saying, hmm, this is who I think the 49ers want. Let's get to number nine with the Seahawks who love to trade down and go get him. So, so look, I know that this is like Captain Obvious stuff. It's all quiet means it's all quiet or it's not but it is quiet but we don't know what's going on under the water under the surface below the surface there could be something it's part of the drama for tomorrow night miles which should make you even more excited about the 2020 draft. <laughs> well, we also had the, you know, very unclear Debo Samuel tweet today of well, everybody wants to construct a narrative and everybody wants to talk, but they don't really know what they're talking about. And it's like, well, all right, dude, like you can tell us what we really should be saying. But if the 49ers or whoever's advising him, because he keeps tweeting stuff and then deleting it, and then you're putting stuff on the Instagram story and deleting it, if somebody's telling him, hey, man, like, just be quiet so we can try to get this done the way you want it to get done, then I understand why he would then, like, not want to do that. But then don't go tweet something cryptic because you want people to know that there are things that are going on that we don't all understand, but I can't tell you. Like, okay, like, what does that even mean? All right, let's, uh, let's make a pivot now because, as promised, we have the top safety prospect in the 2022 draft, a quite possible, oh. if not likely, top 10 pick, Notre Dame's own Kyle Hamilton in the flesh, live. Hello, Kyle. How are you? Congratulations on all your success, and before we get to it, all the best on what's going to be a crazy week for you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, thanks for having me on. I've been doing well. How about you? We've been doing good. We've been good. Not as good as you're going to be doing. But, you know, you're in a weird yeah. spot because your life is going to change dramatically tomorrow night and you have no idea what direction it's going to go. And what's your mindset as you're a day away from basically finding out? It's like it's like pulling your name out of a hat. You're going to find out what city you're moving to tomorrow night. Right. I mean, it's kind of like you're in purgatory right now. Um, just waiting. But, uh, no, it's been fun, and my process, my thought, my my mindset going into tomorrow is probably just um, I'm happy wherever I go, um, wherever I get picked. I'm going to go make a difference, and I'm ready to get to work at this point. Kyle, do you pay attention to mock drafts at all? Like, does that have mean anything to you in terms of giving you a sense for where you might end up? Uh, definitely not. Um, there's too many – mock drafts, too many opinions out there and uh, too many opinionated people. And uh, don't really feed into that stuff. Don't look at it. Um, try to just stay down my path and um, do what I can, control the controllables. You were a safety and a receiver in high school. And guys your size, 6'4", 220, great weapons at receiver. What drew you to the defensive side of the ball at the college level? Um, I just like hitting people. Uh, I feel like it's, it's fun. <laughs> it's, uh, 
I really hit to get hit. Um, and then communication-wise, as a receiver, you don't have to communicate too much. But as a safety, you got to be so connected with everything on the defense. And it just uh, calls for you to do more, but it's more rewarding at the end of the day, I would say. But you Okay, but you also come from a basketball family, right? Your dad played professionally. Your, your brother played collegiately. What drew you to football more than basketball? Was it just the hitting people part? <laughs> um, had something to do with it, but I would say just camaraderie. Like, um, basketball is one of those things where you, you can have somebody on your team that goes and gets 40 or 35 at night, and you'll win most games. Um, football, you can have one of the best running backs in the country, and with no line, doesn't matter. So having the force uh like relationships and you you're forced to create these bonds and get along in order to succeed it's it's very rewarding at the end of the day um when it does click and that's probably what drew me most to it i didn't see your name kyle on the list of the guys that accepted the invitation to go to las vegas where will you be tomorrow night set the scene for us what are you going to be doing once they start calling out the names from the podium uh surprise i will actually be in las vegas uh i am i am going oh you to are job. going you are going. Yeah, All right. Well, that's that's a yeah. development. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll be in Vegas. Well, um, do you have your fit already for it? I do. I do. Uh, apparently, not allowed to say too much about it, but I can tell you that it is navy blue and it will have pinstripes, but I won't look like a Yankee. <laughs> Why don't you want to look like a Yankee? Do you not want to look like a Yankee? Do you not like the Yankees? I feel like we're getting a little off topic. Off topic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I I grew up a big Air Rod fan, but I just don't want to look like a, a New York Yankee out there. Hey, tell uh, us what you fair. have going on with Gillette. Uh, so I've been working with Gillette the past few months, just over the draft process, um, just working and using the Gillette Labs exfoliating bar. Um, been using that the past few weeks. Use it today. Probably use it again tomorrow. I'll have me looking fresh for the draft. Um, but no, this is a company I've been wanting to work with. Um, I think they're a leader in their area. I want to be a part of it. And um, they keep me confident, keep me fresh. And it's been, it's been a great relationship so far. Yeah, having been at Notre Dame, what do you think about uh, Marcus Freeman taking over the program and the direction that he's going to put those guys in? Um, I think he's very, very relatable and he's very calculated and knows exactly what he's doing he's a very hard worker and guys around him even like players uh it's easier to take criticism and um coaching from a guy like that that you know has been through it he's been through the rigor he's had the same struggles and same difficulties that you've had because he played at Ohio State played in the NFL and so having somebody like that who's younger relatable I think kind of creates an environment and uh around the facility where people are morale is probably a little higher you're on the brink of a major change in your life, and it's required a lot of work and preparation. What's the best advice, Kyle, that you've gotten as you approach this moment? The best advice I've gotten, um, stay off social media throughout this process. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, uh, there's nothing but bad stuff out there, even in the good stuff. like You shouldn't be looking at it, and um, I'm not. It's made my life so much easier. Um, this day and age, it's it's crazy how much stuff goes on social media, how much influence people have. But um, uh, I've, I've done my, my due diligence and stayed off it. That's a good way to probably go about life, especially on Twitter. Uh, when I've heard that people talk about you and say that there's a real good chance that you could end up being the best player in this draft. What do you think when you hear something like that? Uh, I completely agree. Um, I feel like my talents speak for themselves, and um, all the work that I put in, but not by accident. And um, I feel like I've built up the reputation and have made enough plays to say that with confidence and for people to believe it. Um, I feel like a lot of teams believe that, and I definitely believe in myself. So I think it all starts with confidence. But at the end of the day, I feel like I am. Kyle, you seem like a very smart guy, a very analytical guy. I suspect you sat down and looked at round one, and you have an idea when that window is going to open for you, when you think the range is. You want to share with us when when we should be expecting to hear Kyle Hamilton's name? Uh, I should be asking you guys that because I have no clue. <laughs> I have zero idea. Uh, 
day before I thought I'd have a better uh, understanding of the gist of it, but I'm still I'm still in the dark. So I'll find out when you guys find out. But no matter where it is, no matter who it's to, um, I'm excited and I feel like I'm gonna make the most of the opportunity. So well, Kyle, we can't wait to see what on you... social media. Well, that's true. That? Well, and he's proven it. If he doesn't know, if you stay off social media, how would you know where you're going to be drafted? So, so good uh, plan. Exactly. Great career so far. We wish you all the best Thursday night and beyond, Kyle Hamilton. Uh, and thanks for some of your time. And thanks to Gillette for making you available. Thank you all so much. I appreciate it. Take care, there man. he is, Kyle Hamilton. Best safety in the draft by far. We're going to take a break. We'll have plenty more PFTPM right after this. Laramie Tunsil, it was six years ago. I remember it vividly. The gas mask bong video. There's an image of it there at the left of the screen. And now what he's doing is the video that was placed onto his Twitter and Instagram feed. Someone hacked it and put that video out there right before the draft started. He fell from 6 to 13 because the Ravens would have taken him. Maybe he would have gone higher than 6. I don't know. But he definitely would have gone 6 to the Ravens but for that video. He's now selling the original video as a non-fungible token, something that the kids very much enjoy to have. And the way it's been explained to me, Miles, you can have a copy of the Mona Lisa. Only one person has the original Mona Lisa. You can have a video on your phone. Only one person can say this is the original video. I don't get it. Miles, I don't know. I don't know if you fall in the right demographic to be impressed by this. Like, I've got a flat screen on my wall in my house, and there's a constant loop of the Laramie Tunsil gas mask bong video, and I know that's the original video, and that should impress friends and family members. I don't get it. We'll see. We'll see. A lot of these NFTs don't go for anything close to what they think they're going to go for, and I don't know what the Laramie Tunsil gas mask bong video is going to go for, but he is selling it as a non-fungible token. Yeah, and then the proceeds will go to a good cause. I mean, I... A portion I am, of the proceeds. Think, oh, a portion. portion of proceeds? Uh, keyword. A, keyword. A portion. Is, yeah, it is a keyword portion. Whenever you got to talk about portion, we don't know exactly what portion that's going to be. Um, I do fall in that category of people that should be impressed by this. I think as a 30-year-old male... Now, would I be necessarily that impressed by what the original is? Not necessarily, because I can just pull it up on my phone and see it. You know, so whatever. But, you know, look, if the proceeds are going for, excuse me, if a portion of the proceeds are going to a good cause, that's great. Maybe as little as 1%. We don't know. That's the key word, a portion of the proceeds. The net proceeds. That's the other thing to watch, too, when you Uh hear somebody is giving the net proceeds of something. Until you have access to the full accounting formulation, you don't know what the net is. All right. Uh, But regardless, regardless, it's noteworthy, it's newsworthy, and it still feels like yesterday when the first round of the draft was turned upside down by Laramie Tunsil. Let's see, six years ago, you would have been about 14 then when that happened. Is that right? <laughs> no, was is my it, math was accurate? That in 20, was that in 2016? That was in 2016, yes. right? Yeah. yeah, okay. Where were you I, then? I, I was, you were out of college, right? I was out of college. I was in downtown Thank Los God. Angeles with the uh, Rams. That's the last time they made a first-round pick. That was when they picked Jared Goff. So I was in downtown LA, and I remember, you know, I was, I, I was, you know, with the Rams football operations at the time in that sort of room, and just them kind of being like, oh, wow, this is crazy. So that's maybe weird. that's I was why it was when that happened. Maybe maybe we finally know why they haven't used a first round pick in so long, because their last first round pick was Jared Goff. I think we have the answer. Let's go to what else. We're you supposed don't to you talk don't about, you don't like Jared Goff slander. You I are don't. a closet really Jared Goff fan. I don't think there's anything. He was nice to me when I worked for the Rams. He was nice to me. He was. So is his family. I have no no problem with Jared Goff. I have a loser ring from, you know, going to Super Bowl 53 in part because of Jared Goff. So, yeah. And Jared Goff played well in his last five starts, Mike. So there. Just imagine, just imagine if when they ran the play in the second half that they ran in the first half and Brandon Cook sprang wide-ass open and he missed him in the first half. He threw it to Robert Woods on a crosser underneath instead, and they had 25 minutes to talk about it during halftime, and they said, we're going to run this again, and Cooks is going to be wide open and was going to score a touchdown on it, and he missed him, and he threw it late, and one of the McCourties ran over and broke it up, or you would have a real 
Super Bowl champion ring, all because of Jared Goff. How can you be happy about that, Miles Simmons? Well, we don't know. I mean, Tom Brady was still the quarterback of the New England That's Patriots. That they he still would have still- found a way. Yeah, I, I, I tend to think that. But the funniest part is, Mike, when we were leaving that press box, I turned to my friend and former colleague, Clarence Dennis, and said, well, at least we saw Tom Brady's last Super Bowl victory. Oops. Yeah. Yeah. Good thing they didn't sell any footballs from that game as last one ever. <laughs> uh, all right. Here is David Tepper, who would very much love to have a quarterback with one-seventh of the accomplishments of Tom Brady as they are approaching the draft. Tepper met with the media today, had some things to say about his head coach, Matt Rule, and his current starting quarterback, starting quarterback, Sam Darnold. Here's David Tepper. You know, the first three games, as I recall, we won. We had this running back that has some talent that got injured um, that uh, might have affected some, you know, some different momentum that we had. I, I think his name is Christian McCaffrey. As I said before, I think Sam Darnold is a very good quarterback. Um, we're always looking to be the best we can be, and we'll continue to do that. I do believe that Coach Roll and Scott are doing a great job creating that foundation. I do think we have a you know, pretty good, you know, as I mentioned before, I think we have made improvements in the coaching staff. I think we have uh, you know, done a good job during free agency to fill holes. Obviously, we have some needs. We're going to try to attempt some of those in the draft. And uh, listen, I'm fairly optimistic about the new season, uh, given all the different things that have happened here. I don't know. I don't. You Are know, you say about how the Christian McCaffrey thing rubbed you the wrong way, because that's the first thing no, that came to mind. I mean, come on. I, look, if you want to do stand up, go do stand up. There's plenty of places in the Charlotte area or in Pittsburgh where he's from where you can go to open mic night if you want to tell some jokes. But first of all, comedy is hard. I just don't know why. I'm going to take a step back because Sims and I talked about this earlier today. You've got all this sound that's emerging as the draft approaches. I didn't know whether it was mandatory. The league told me that it can be the GM or the coach. It doesn't have to be both, but you have to do a pre-draft press conference. So that's the answer to the question. It's not optional. Because if it was optional, I wouldn't do it. Because nothing you say is going to help you. Anything you say can and will be used against you by the others who may be cutting the line based upon what they think you're going to do. And if you try to misdirect others, you're also going to not properly set the expectations of your fan base. Then you have a a problem there, potentially. So they've already complied with their obligation. Scott Fitterer did his yesterday. Why in the hell is David Tepper doing one a day before the draft? I don't get it. And and look, you know, embedded within his, well, you know, we were 3-0 and and we had a pretty good running back. His name was Christian McCaffrey. That is excuse-making because what he's essentially saying is, we would have had a good season, but Christian McCaffrey got injured. And, and that's a loser mentality in the NFL because Ooh, everybody yes. has injuries. Everybody can say, well, we would have won more games, but this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. Yeah, that's the difference between 10 and 7 and 7 and 10 or 12 and 5 and 5 and 12. The teams that end up 12 and 5 can look and say, hey, this went well, this went well, this went well, this went well. And the teams that didn't have a litany of excuses, but there's always a team that has a bunch of bad stuff happen that still finds a way to win football games. It's, it's an excuse. So he implicitly was making an excuse for why things fell off last year. I don't think Christian McCaffrey's injury had anything to do with it. I think they figured out their fairly basic offense. They cracked the code on the 3-3-5 defense that Phil Snow runs, and they couldn't win. They just couldn't compete with, with the teams week in and week out, period. Yeah, well, and not only that, but I mean, there's a part, uh, there's a part that he said today that Rome wasn't built in a day. And like in the year of our Lord 2022, I am so not interested in hearing in the context of the NFL, Rome wasn't built in a day. It's the same thing I thought when Matt Rule started talking about seven years and was talking about Jay-Z and all these different things and how, you know, it takes a long time to get things. So that's not really true anymore. And if that's the way that you compete, all it is is a justification for losing. You're talking about it being a loser mentality, right, by saying that Christian McCaffrey is the reason that things didn't go well for Sam Darnold. I mean, there were five players up front that didn't do very well that also had something to do with that. And it's Sam Darnold's poor decision-making that also had something to do with it. So I'm not really here for 
like, oh my gosh, Rome wasn't built in a day. We're building the foundation. It's this, it's that. And we don't know what it's going to be and da, 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 da. And we've got a process. And it, like, come on, Sean McVay turned things around in one year for the LA Rams, right? That team was four and 12 and 16. They were in the playoffs in 17 and they went to the Super Bowl and got me a loser ring in 2018. I like, we can't sit here and start talking about long-term processes anymore. It's got, you've got to show progress. And like, I don't, I mean, I understand that, like, there's no good reason for David Tepper to be like on April 27th. Yeah, they need to do better or else like that doesn't help anybody. But at the same time, it's like, why do we have to say that Sam Darnold is a very good quarterback? Why can't it just be we think Sam Darnold can maybe be a good quarterback or can be a good quarterback if he's got the right support around him? Like qualify that thing a little bit more. I don't know. Hey, there's somebody who works for the Bengals official website that's going to get a Super Bowl loser ring that they never dreamed they were going to get in the year 2022. So things can be turned around quickly. Good teams can become bad teams quickly. I'd love to know the story behind why David Tepper spoke today. Was it already planned? I'm going to poke around a little bit on that. Or was it a reaction to Scott Fitter yesterday? Did Tepper think, man, you know, he kind of blew our cover Talking about there's a couple of quarterbacks he'd be comfortable drafting at number six. No, we got to go out there and throw our arms around Sam Darnold so we don't get a leapfrog by the Falcons. I think the Falcons really want Malik Willis or Kenny Pickett, and they may jump in front of us with the Giants and then we don't get the guy. We're being too cute with this. We shouldn't be talking about this. Let's go out there and make them think that we're not looking at a quarterback. And then especially if we don't get the quarterback we want, then we don't look like we're failures. Like I, I hope it wasn't David Tepper doing cleanup on aisle five for Scott Fitterer because he thought Fitterer didn't do a good enough job. And I'm not saying that just completely throwing a dart in the dark here. I've heard some things about Tepper and I'm not from you, not from you. I know you work there. I'm not, but, but I've heard some things, you know, he is a hard charging guy and he got 16.7 billion because he knows what he wants and he goes and gets it and he doesn't tolerate incompetence or mediocrity. And I just can't help but wonder whether he felt like I need to roll up my sleeves and go out there and tell our story and speak our truth and set the right mood for what's going to happen when the picks start to come so they don't really know what we're going to do. I don't know. I'm just that's that's kind of that's that's speculation, but it's informed by what I've heard about the way Tepper is. Educated guests, some might say. I mean, I don't know. I, and frankly, I mean, I, I worked there, but for a short time and during a pandemic, so I don't know necessarily that much more about uh, the Carolina Panthers than anybody else. But I, I, I think that whenever you're trying to establish expectations or trying to throw somebody off the scent, it's one thing. I mean, but there are other issues about the Carolina Panthers that deserved some questions and he didn't really answer those today. Right. He said that he wanted to talk about football, not the Panthers pulling out of their new practice facility in Rock Hill, South Carolina, which is just across the border um, from North Carolina there um, in Charlotte, where the Panthers obviously play their games. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that could have been talked about. I don't know. Maybe it would have behooved uh, Tepper just to wait until after the draft in order to talk. I don't know, but you know, I, I think, Look, the Carolina Panthers quarterback situation is certainly interesting, and I think that it's something we're going to have more clarity on probably by Sunday than we have right now after the draft. Before the draft, we will have more clarity on it after the draft than we do right now before the draft. I should do a better job of landing the plane. David Tepper is just the latest example of guy who made billions in some other business that thinks it's easy to run a football team. I can just go buy a football well, team. Look, I'm David Tepper. I made $16.7 billion as a hedge fund manager. I know how to figure things out. You know, he's a smart guy. He's a smart guy. But the reality is the NFL is a different beast altogether. And you have a bunch of really rich, accomplished people, with the exception of those who inherit the team from somebody who is really rich and accomplished. But for the most part, it's really rich and accomplished people who, who are fighting a zero-sum game where there's a lot of things you can't control. And it's almost like the harder you try to bend things in your direction, the harder it is to make it happen. And I feel like David Tepper has been trying so damn hard, Miles, to get a franchise quarterback. The harder he tries, the harder it is to get what he wants. 
that that's true. And I mean, we can certainly look at the example of Deshaun Watson and how the Panthers really pursued him for over a year and failed to acquire him as one of those examples. But not that David Tepper needs me to defend him, but I guess I, I'm going to. And I don't necessarily love being on the side of defending NFL owners. But, I mean, it's not like he's had this team for a decade plus, right? I mean, he came in there, what, 2018, 2019? So, like, there's... And then he, you know, kept Ron Rivera for that one year, and then they fired him. And then the, Matt Rule's the first head coach that's been hired under him. And so we can give it a little bit more time with David Tepper before I, I feel like we form, like, that real opinion of him as an NFL owner. Like, I mean, we, it's not like we're looking at Shad Khan's record, right? Are, are you saying, much, are you saying, so wait, 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 are, are you saying Rome wasn't built in a day? Is that what you're telling me? I am almost saying that, but I'm also saying that NFL owners may get should get more than one head coach to prove that they do or don't know what they're doing. Hey. It's not like hey. Matt Rule was an unpopular pick to be a head coach when he became one. Now, it's not our job to get it right. It's his job to get it right. So if you get it wrong, you get criticized for getting it wrong with your head coach. But I don't know. And you don't get fired. That's the key. You yeah. don't have to worry about getting fired as the owner. As Jed York or Yoke notoriously said a few years ago, you can't Jed fire the, the owner. I'm the owner, and you can't for Jed, Jed Yoke. Jed Yoke, yes. Uh, <laughs> um, anyway, I was, I was moving too quickly from York to notoriously, and it came out Yoke, for those of you who wonder what my excuse is. I could say I didn't have a star running back. That would be an excuse as well. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. We believe we are going to be joined by Florida State edge rusher Jermaine Johnson just one day before he finds out his destination in the 2022 NFL Draft. We'll do that right after this on this Wednesday edition of PFTPM. All right, uh, technical difficulties will prevent us from speaking with Jermaine Johnson after all. We wish him all the best as he embarks on his NFL journey. Now what will we do? For the next 20 minutes, who will rid us of this meddlesome 20 minutes, Miles? Gee, what a shock. Two guys who talk for a living are going to have to figure out what to talk about for the next 20 minutes. How about some mailbag questions? Are you interested in diving into the mailbag with me, Miles? Very interested, Mike. I love hearing from the people who watch this show. Or those who don't. Gilligan's asks. And that's not Gilligan. It's Gilligan. Not that Miles has any idea who Gilligan is. He has no. Yes, you, have I you do. Ever seen Gilligan's oh, no, Island? no, 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 no. Don't you accuse me of not watching Gilligan's oh. Island on Naked Night as a child. Gilligan, the skipper too, the millionaire and his wife, the movie star, the professor and Mary Ann, and the rest, if you're watching the early seasons. Come on, man. Yes, and the rest. I, I wonder what kind of negotiations went on between... The agents representing the person who played the professor and the person who played Marianne. Was it Dawn Wells? Was that her name? I think she passed not that long ago. RIP to Marianne. But was there some kind of high-level meeting where they were, like, pissed off? Because you know how people are. They're pissed off that the opening song doesn't mention their characters. So, you know, we're walking. Hey, listen. Listen, uh, whoever it was that produced the show. We're walking unless... You redo the theme song, and it includes the professor and Marianne. And was there a power struggle between the professor and Marianne? Like, did the professor say, I really don't care if you mention Marianne. I just want to be mentioned. And was Marianne like, screw the professor. They're showing up to see, you know, farm girl from Iowa, not the professor. Nobody likes the professor. Who cares? So, anyway. Uh, what, what in the hell are we doing? This is what happens when you have to fill the rest of the show when you were supposed to have an interview. I'm like, yeah, we could fill 20 minutes, of course, because we'll talk about nonsense for 20 minutes. Yeah, were you leaving space for me to talk there? Are we going to get to the mailbag? (laughs) Gilligan, or Gilligan asks, how apoplectic will Aaron Rodgers be when the Packers fail to take a receiver in round one? And I won't be surprised if they don't. Now, they do have two picks. They're one of a record eight teams that have two picks. So I'd like to think they're going to take a receiver. But there's a stubbornness, a stubbornness that borders on kind of a quiet arrogance with the Packers. We know what's best. You don't try to tell us what to do. We know what we're going to do. You tell us to take a receiver. We're not going to take a receiver. Why? Because you're telling us to take a receiver. So I I could see the Packers doing something unexpected just to point out to all of us that they don't answer to us. They answer to themselves. I I can kind of see that, but. If you think about what's gone on, I mean, you, you can't trade Devontae Adams away and also lose Valdez scaling to the Chiefs and then just go into this 
with Randall Cobb and Sammy Watkins and Lazard as your top three options. Now, Amari Rogers is back, right? He's going into his second year. And I think if you are the Packers, you better expect a pretty darn good jump from year one to year two with him. But I mean, if I'm the Packers, I, I got to think edge rusher and probably wide receiver with my first two picks in that first round, either order, whatever it happens to be. But like, that's, that's at least where my mind is as somebody who looks at the Packers as a team that should be in the upper echelon of the NFC. And look, even though we focus on the first round of the draft, the reality is there are more rounds if you haven't heard. And what you have to ask yourself is we have an opportunity to take guy in round one at one position. Okay. Well, let's say edge rush and receiver. Well, if we go edge rush, What's our fallback at receiver? How many others do we think we can get in later rounds? And what's the gap? Whereas if we take a receiver, what's the gap between the other edge rushers that we want? But the difference is by letting Devontae Adams go, they have created a gaping need for a number one receiver. Where are they going to find that guy? Unless they've got like Julio Jones up their sleeve, which I'm not sure he's ready to walk in and be a number one receiver anyway. It's not 2014 anymore. He hasn't been a great receiver for several years now. I just don't know what you do. And you're in the final years of Aaron Rodgers' career, and you don't have a number one receiver. And I, I just I don't know what their plan is. And I really think they got caught flat-footed with Devontae Adams. They should have done the deal November or December. He would have been under contract, and he would have kept pushing forward with what they have. And, yeah, I, I think Aaron Rodgers will be upset if they don't take a receiver in round one. But how can he be surprised? He's been there long enough. He knows how this movie ends. And if it ends the same way it's ended for the past 15 years – why be surprised? Would you be surprised if the Packers pick two receivers in the first round? Because to me, that, that should be on the table. If you've got a guy like yes. Aaron Rodgers and you're trying to extend his career. I, I agree with you that it should be on the table. I would be surprised if they do it because it's hard, it's hard enough to get them to do one. But, you know, for every Justin Jefferson, there's a Jalen Rieger. For every Debo Samuel or... DK Metcalf or AJ Brown, there's a Nikhil Harry. So just because you use a first round pick on a receiver doesn't mean the guy's going to work out. There's still a bust rate. Now, it's not as high as maybe it is at other positions, but there's still a chance the guy you take isn't going to be all that. And he's going to be overwhelmed by the circumstance that he's been thrust into. You know, let's, let's consider that. If you're the receiver who's picked to go to the Packers, and you obviously have no choice over where you go, and Kyle Hamilton earlier in the program, he's as well-conditioned as every other draft pick. They just accept it because what choice do they have? But I don't know that I would want that pressure of becoming the presumptive number one receiver in Aaron Rodgers' offense, and he's going to be pissed at me if I make a mistake, and I've got a narrow, thin margin for error in training camp, and forget about the offseason program because he's not going to be there. It's a lot of pressure on that guy. You better be sure that whoever you make that pick is ready to come in and handle it. So maybe you do need two. Maybe you need one in the second round, one in the first round, two in the first round, whatever, but I do think they need multiple receivers, guys that they believe can contribute right away, but one thing we know about the draft there is that crapshoot element. They may think the guy's going to work out, but they're not going to know until he gets there. Well, that's exactly what the scouting staff is there for, Mike. That's why you do all this background work so that you have an understanding of not just the physical makeup, the physical tools, but also what's going on above the neck, right? The mental makeup that you can say, yeah, we feel good that this guy can come in here and contribute right away. And that's obviously what the Packers would need from somebody at receiver if they were to draft them in the first round or the second round. It can't just be, oh, well, we project that maybe they'll be good in a couple of years. Like, no, we need somebody who knows how to run the route tree, who can be confident in the huddle when Aaron Rodgers is like, hey, man, this ball is coming to you, and we don't have to worry that they may or may not catch it. You want somebody who can go out there and do it. I'm sure there are players in this draft that can, right? I mean, we've seen it in the last few years. Guys are getting so much better at being receivers and translating that skill set from college to the pros. But you're right, there is still a bust rate. I just feel like if I'm the Packers, and I want to elongate Aaron Rodgers' career, and I want to keep him happy after he loses one of the best receivers in the entire National Football League, that's a position that I'm going to target. And I may do it you know, more than once in the first three rounds, let's call it. XXL from the Shyock says, or asks, the case may be, is there any chance Jordan Love gets traded during the draft? I'll say no because he's under a very favorable contract. 
He's got two more years left on his rookie deal. And I think Aaron Rodgers is still year to year. Even though he signed that deal, the way it's structured, they can part ways after one year if they so choose to do it, if he doesn't want to come back or if he's looking for somewhere else. So I think you have to keep Jordan Love around. He knows the offense. He's very cheap as backup quarterbacks go. You need a backup quarterback. Aaron Rodgers has had a couple of of instances where he's broken a collarbone in recent years. I think 2013 and 2017, if my memory is accurate, and it, it sel- seldom is. But, uh, yeah, you have to keep Sounds Jordan right. Love around. And, and Jordan Love's got to be upset about that. Again, he's the only guy that I ever feel bad about in this Green Bay dysfunction because he got involuntarily forced into it. And now he's going to be going into year three of his career having never played with no immediate plan or opportunity for him to play in Green Bay. But if I'm the Packers, even though it would be right for him to be traded to a place where he can compete to play, I keep him because he's my insurance policy against an Aaron Rodgers injury in 2022 or departure in 2023. Unless they get an offer that they simply can't refuse, right? An overwhelming offer, which to me maybe could happen. You got to think about the fact that this quarterback class is one of the least heralded that I can ever remember. I mean, you got to go to like what, what the one with Christian Ponder and, and Locke uh, and Locke, Jake Locker. Right? Like this is one of those kind of quarterback classes. And the more I read about it, like it's it's almost like we might not see somebody come off the board until 15 to 20, which frankly, I don't necessarily believe. But if that's the kind of talent that we're dealing with, if you've got a front office that looks at it and says, hey, man, maybe we can go and get Jordan Love because Jordan Love would be at the top of this quarterback class that if we were all evaluating them on the same plane, then maybe they end up giving the Packers an offer that the Packers are like, hey, wow, gosh, now you're going to give us a first round pick for Jordan Love. Like, I don't know. You know, maybe they give him a first rounder or a second rounder, first round, third round. I, I don't know what that price would be, but I do feel like there is a certain point where if the Packers get that offer, it's like, oh, maybe we should do it. Because if I'm the acquiring team, I'm thinking, all right, I've got Jordan Love in his third year this year. You know, you can make that decision on his fifth-year option next year, uh, next spring. So then you might have three years of this guy under contract. That, that's significant, especially because if you acquire him this weekend, you've still got him for OTAs and the rest of the offseason program and minicamp and all a training camp so he can get integrated into the offense. So if I was a team that's looking for a QB, it's at least something that I would entertain. It's a fascinating question, Miles, because you could argue that Baker Mayfield is better than any of the quarterbacks in this class because we know he can play. He's had two good years, and last year, week two, injury marred him all year long. He's more proven than any of the guys who will be drafted this coming week. But he's got an $18.8 million fully guaranteed salary, so that aspect of it has to be considered, and you only have him for one year. You get Jordan Love at a lot less money you get to control his rights for three years if you choose and that fifth year option is lower because it's now tied to what you accomplish in your first three seasons and he has accomplished nothing because he hasn't played the challenge though is to project what he's going to be you got one regular season game that was meaningful the game against the Chiefs where he had what two days to get ready he got thrust into service because of the Aaron Rodgers COVID positive diagnosis and there are some people who say he really didn't play all that poorly under the circumstances but we just don't have enough to say we know he can come in and play I feel more confident saying Baker Mayfield can come in and play than Jordan Love so what do you give up for a guy where it's still a roll of the dice would you give up a first round pick for him I don't know and the other side of it too is we don't know who else out there loved Jordan Love and that pun was not intended two years ago and still feels strongly about him there could be some other GMs and coaches out there who say, you know, I always thought this guy had potential. He just needs a chance to play and we can give him a chance to play, whether it's Atlanta, Carolina, Seattle, one of the teams that is thinking about a first round quarterback and either doesn't get him or says, Hey, maybe this is our alternative, but I still think it's going to take a lot to get the Packers to give him up because they need an affordable and experienced, at least in their offense, back up to Aaron Rodgers in the event that, as I said, he gets injured this year or he decides he's done after 2022. Yeah, one other team that I would add to that is the Saints. You know, we don't necessarily know what the Saints are going to do, but they do at least have two first-round picks. So if you're saying, if you're the Saints, man, hey, I could draft a QB 
and I think they have 19 as their second pick, or I could give this to the Green Bay Packers if they are all right with taking him that for Jordan Love. That, that's definitely something I would consider if I were New Orleans. Do we take a break or do we keep rolling? Can we just keep rolling on the top of the hour? Okay, let's take a break. Let's take a quick break. We'll keep answering questions when we wrap up this Wednesday edition of PFTPM right after this. New York Nick has a question as we wrap up this Wednesday edition of PFTPM just one day away from the draft. By the way, we had a countdown clock earlier today on PFT Live. So we would know days, hours, minutes, seconds. (laughs) It was very important, very important to always know how long until the draft begins. But it's about, what, 26 hours away? Quick math, 26 hours away. Anyway, New York Nick says it looks like the Giants will decline Daniel Jones' fifth-year option. Will DJ be in a Giants uniform in 2023? This one fascinates me because of all the things they said about Daniel Jones that were positive when Joe Shane was introduced as a GM, when Brian Dayball was introduced as a head coach, whether it was at the podium or John Mara you know, reminding everyone who's really in charge of the Giants, talking separately about Daniel Jones, Daniel Jones, Daniel Jones. You start talking about the fifth-year option. Well, well, we're not so sure about that. And Shane told us at the scouting combine that they wanted to get to know him better in the offseason program, which means if they don't exercise the option, the implicit message, maybe not so implicit, is we don't really like this guy. So <laughs> there's an awkward moment that is coming up where the actions – are going to depart from the words. And I understand why they wouldn't pick it up. It's a $22 million fully guaranteed contract, Miles. You're making a $22 million bet that he's going to be good enough that you want to keep him. Or you bet that he's not going to be good enough that you're going to be willing to let him walk away. And if he wows you, you can always sign him to a new contract to use the franchise tag. But that's about $11, $12 million spread if he ends up playing incredibly well. I just don't think there's a good way out of this for the Giants. And they, they, they may decide to save that $22 million knowing it could cost them $34 million if Daniel Jones comes out and plays really well this season. I would think that that's a risk worth taking. I mean, if you think about it, like $34 million is not that much when it comes to like really good quarterbacks in this league, right? Where we're talking about guys making 40 to $50 million where they're elite. 34 is like, okay. You're going to be all right with that, especially if you use that as a basis for a new deal. I mean, but we could ask the Browns. Are they happy that they picked up Baker Mayfield and his totally guaranteed $18.8 million salary? Probably not, because now they can't get rid of him. So, I mean, if I'm the Giants, I don't think I want to be stuck with that $22 million on the books for you know 2023, and then I won't be able to get rid of Daniel Jones if he stinks this year. So when you introduce a new GM and a new head coach, why all the superlatives? See, that's the thing. It undermines everything oh. they said. And it allows us to say that everything that guy said is bullcrap. And because if you really love him as much as you're saying, you do use the fifth year option. But you don't. You don't know. So you're going to take it. You're going to take it slowly. And you're going to watch and you're going to wait. So, Miles, we'll see. I wouldn't pick it up. But I also wouldn't have said all those great things about him back in January either. Yeah, well, but that's what the owner was doing. That doesn't have too much to do with the football operation. We'll see what happens. Who will rid us of this meddlesome quarterback is what the owner said. That's it for today. See you tomorrow morning. (laughs)